Well, welcome, everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. So glad that you're here to join us. In case you're wondering, yes, that was a home video footage that my wife and I shot in our uh, time in Uganda. We, uh, we were there for a month about five years ago when we were adopting our son Enoch, and we lived in that orphanage for about two weeks, and so uh, it stirs up all kinds of emotions watching that again. But uh, this morning, I showed that to you because we're in the middle of a series that we started last week that we're just calling the Gospel And, and we're looking at how the Gospel impacts three major social justice issues of our day. And then also in this series, we're going to talk about how the Gospel teaches us to relate to two major people groups in our day. And Justin will be teaching about that over the next two weeks. Looking forward to that. But today, we're going to continue the series and talk about how the gospel impacts the issue of the orphan crisis. Now, last week, if you weren't with us, I want to really encourage you to go and listen to the message from last week. Uh, We had a guest speaker, Tori Mayo, uh, the pastor at the well, and he did a phenomenal job talking about how the gospel impacts uh, racial uh, reconciliation. And he talked about how the gospel informs us about what we're aiming for in racial reconciliation, that being uh, unity within diversity, that we would still have diversity, but there would be unity for the, that would then displays the glory of God. He also talked about how the gospel enables that to happen because through the gospel, what God has done is that he's torn down the wall of hostility that comes up when we seek to try to find our righteousness in anything other than Christ himself. And so that is a great message. Today, we're going to talk about how the gospel impacts the issue of the orphan crisis. And just just to be clear, I don't know how many of y'all feel kind of informed about what's going on in the world today in this area, but let me me just help you see this really is an area of injustice. In fact, children growing up without families are the most vulnerable beings in our planet. They face greatly elevated risk of virtually every evil known to man— from starvation to disease to human trafficking. Without the protection of a family, a child becomes an ideal target for exploitation. A recent study in Moldova, a country located next to Romania, found that children growing up in institutions, think orphanages, are 10 times more vulnerable to trafficking than other children. 10 times more vulnerable. In 2002, An assessment in Zambia found that of all children engaged in prostitution, almost 75% were orphans. Their average age was 15, and that on average, they would sleep with three to four clients a day. This tragic reality isn't limited to far-off and underdeveloped places. In fact, uh, the head of Florida's trafficking task force estimates that 70% of child trafficking victims in the U.S. are foster youth, 70%. A study in New York found that 75% of children who were uh, uh, sexually exploited for uh, commercial purposes had spent time in foster care, 75%. According to UNICEF, there are 18 uh, million million, uh, double orphans in the world today. Double orphan is the technical term for a child who's lost both parents. 18 million double orphans in the world today. Currently in the U.S., there are, there are over 415,000 children in our foster care system. Out of that 415,000, over 100,000 of them are currently available for adoption, awaiting adoption. 
uh, to bring it in home even closer, in Texas, there are about 30,000 children in foster care, 13,000 of which are currently available for adoption. And then in Austin itself, there are about 3,500 children in foster care. KXAN, the, the news channel here in Austin, recently did a report when they shared that the number of children in the state's foster care system is at an all-time high, where about 30,000 children and teens across the state are in need of permanent or temporary housing. The station went on to report saying that the Department of Families and Child Protective Services is pleading with religious leaders to help. That's hard stuff to hear, isn't it? I mean, if, it, if you're like me, like, you hear that, it, like, it, it's upsetting. And, and this morning, I want to share it like, I've got this tension I've had felt all week long, prayed a lot about it, and it just like I, I have no desire to like just heap guilt upon us or to manipulate us into action. And yet at the same time, I don't want to shield us from what is the true reality of the situation that's happening in the plight of the orphan crisis in our world today. And so here, here's what I'm going to try to do in this message by the power of God and a lot of grace from you probably. But uh, what, what I'm trying to do this morning is what I'd what I'd like to do is to focus our attention on what, what is God's heart for the orphan? What's God's heart for the orphan? And then what is God doing through the gospel to give us his heart for the orphan? That's where we're going to go this morning. How, how does the gospel reveal God's heart for the orphan? And then what does the gospel give us a new heart for the orphan? So let me pray, and then we're going to jump into this, all right? Let's pray. Father God, would you, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, in your grace... Remind us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, in your grace, also compel us by your love to reflect your heart for the orphan. And Lord, give us just ears that are just attuned to what you're saying to each of us this morning on this topic. And God, we do ask that you would do a radical work in our, in our world today as, as the defender of the fatherless that you are to care for these orphans. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's begin with how the gospel reveals God's heart for the orphan. And, and I just love this, this topic. It's one of my favorite topics in the world because it's really the topic of the gospel, all right? Because here, here's how the gospel reveals God's heart for the orphan. It, it reveals God's heart because in the gospel we see that God is an adoptive father. You ever thought of that? The gospel reveals God's heart for the orphan because the gospel, in many ways, is the story of our adoption, of how God has adopted us. I mean, it's really incredible. If you're a Christian, meaning if you've placed your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you've trusted your life in his hands, then you are, the Bible says, a child of God. But how did you become a child of God? It's through adoption. God the Father adopted you. And the way that the Bible speaks of this truth is really in depth and profound. In fact, like I can speak from experience, I kind of know the process that you have to go through to, to adopt a child. And it's crazy. And in, in, in Scripture, you see that God does every single one of those and more in order to bring you into his family. Like, for example, just think about this. If you're going to adopt one of those 18 million children in the world today, 
that are orphaned. You'd have to choose one of them to adopt, right? I mean, it's very basic, right? I mean, I think about when Krista and I adopted Enoch. We, we had started the process of adoption. We didn't know who we were going to adopt. We had narrowed it down to adopting from the nation of Uganda. We knew that we were adopting a boy and that he would be between two and seven, but that's all we knew. And about for 16 months, we prepared. We, 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 we did a lot of legal work. We'd done a lot of prep. And finally, our agency calls us one day. And says, hey, you need to check your email. Just, we just sent you an email that's got an attachment of a child that we think could be your son. But you need to choose. You need to let us know if you're going to adopt him. And so we gather around my computer, and I've got Krista and I, and then our son, Camp, who is about two and a half at that, eight, at that time. We sit down in the table, we sit down in front of the computer, we open up the email, we open up the attachment, up pops this picture of Enoch's face. It's the first time we ever laid eyes on our son. We knew for sure. I mean, we knew before we even opened up the attachment, like, yes, we were going to say, yes, this is our son we're going to adopt. But you, you got to look at the picture, right? So you look at the picture, and it's like, but that's our son. I say to Camp, Camp, this is your brother that we've been praying for for the last year and a half. And he says, really? I love him. <laughs> I'm like, kid you not, that was his response. Is that not awesome? Like, we do too, man. We do too. And so, uh, like, I, when I hear, like, that was us choosing to adopt Enoch. Now, now hear this. Like, this, and, like, this just, oh, man, it just blows me away. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, verses 3 through 5. They'll have put, put them up here for you. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, what? He chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for what? For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, his pleasure and will. You, you hear that, friends? Like, is this not amazing? Like, what Chris and I did with Enoch pales in comparison. I mean, it's just, it's just a little bitty hint of what this tells us God has done for you. That if you've placed your faith in Christ, and you can know what this verse is telling you is that God chose you. That he chose you. That before the creation of the world, he chose you. That he decided ahead of time that he would adopt you. Like, how incredible is that? Now, I know this passage raises questions, free choice and election and predestination, all that. And, and yeah, that's a message for another day. I don't want you to miss what this is saying. God chose you. That if you're his son or daughter, it's because he wanted you to be. Why? Because you performed? Because you jumped through hoops? Because you deserved it? No. He chose you before you were born, before the creation of the world even. You couldn't have done anything to warrant his love. He just did it because of the ple- according to his pleasure and his will. He wanted you. He chose you to adopt you into your family, into his family. Is that not awesome? It's even more awesome in light of the fact that it, what it cost him to bring you into his family. That it, it, and all adoption, all foster care stories, they, they share stories that it, it comes with some cost, some sacrifice 
in order to bring a child into your home. I mean, some, some level of selflessness, uh, some level of patience, perhaps some level of sanity, right? Uh, some level of money, some level of, like, you know, some cost, some sacrifice in order to bring the child into your home. But man, again, all of that pales in comparison. It's, it's really like, it's not even worth mentioning compared to the cost that it required for God to bring us into his family. I mean, think about what Galatians 4 says, right? Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, what I don't want you to miss in this passage is it's not exactly logical in the flow. If you go to the very end, it says that in verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Like it, it would make sense. It would say, so, you, so you're no longer an orphan, right? But a child adopted in God's family. But it says slave. Well, why does it say slave? Because the truth is, friends, that that's our state outside of being adopted in the family of God. In Ephesians 2 will speak of it even greater detail. Tori referenced this last week that we're, we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to the pattern of this world. We're slaves to Satan himself. That we had no hope to ever free ourselves. We had no hope to ever save ourselves. But God sent his son. And God the son came and he was born under the law, meaning that he had to keep the law perfectly to do what we never did in order to redeem, to purchase those under the law, that would be us. And what Christ did is that he lived a life that we were supposed to live, a perfect life, fully fulfilling the law. And then he went to the cross to die the death we deserve to die as a result of not keeping the law. But instead of us paying that penalty, he paid it for us. He was sacrificed. He paid the great cost so that we could be brought in. On the cross, Jesus, God the Son, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on the cross, God the Father and God the Son were torn apart so that we, slaves, could be adopted, brought in to the family of God. God willingly paid the incredible cost. He willingly was sacrificed so that we could be adopted. When Chris and I adopted Enoch. It co- literally cost us all the money we had. <laughs> like we emptied all of our accounts. We didn't have any savings. We didn't have any 401k. We didn't have anything like that. We just, we just paid it all, right? And we raised a lot of extra money. Because it was, you got to pay all the legal costs. You got to pay the transportation costs. You got to get over there, all that stuff. And so like we didn't have any money. When we came back from adopting Enoch, we literally had $136 in our bank account. That was all the money that we had. 
and we did not care. <laughs> we didn't care. It was a joy to do that, to bring Enoch into our family. Now listen to this. In Hebrews 12, we're told, for the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross. God, yes, sacrificed in a degree that we cannot even wrap our minds around in order to bring us into his family, but he did so willingly. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that we could be brought in. Isn't that amazing? Once you choose a child to adopt, you sacrifice in order to bring them in, then you welcome them into your family. Well, God tells us that he welcomes us into his family in a way that is beyond our comprehension. I think about what Romans 8 says. In Romans 8, we're told this. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, and hear this, this is crazy, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, this last part of this passage, verse 17, is beyond our comprehension, which means it's well beyond my ability to communicate just how incredible this is, okay? But this is saying that when Christ, when we, when Christ dies for us, we, through faith in him, we, put, we are adopted into the family of God. We are brought in not as second-tier citizens, in the family of God, not as the B team of the family of God, but as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that we are fully welcomed in to the family of God. Like what how Robert A. Pearson says it in his book, Adopted by God, he puts it this way. He says, Romans 8, 17 is key. When Paul calls believers heirs of God, he means not merely that believers are heirs of what God has promised, but of God himself. That we are heirs of God means that we will inherit God. Remarkably, this is similar to what God already told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 when he said, Do not be afraid. I am your very great reward. Pearson goes on and says, But there is more. Romans 8, 17 teaches not only that we are heirs of the Father, but also co-heirs with Christ. We have the same Father as Jesus. We belong to the same family. And by virtue of our union with the Son of God, His inheritance is ours. Because everything belongs to Christ, His inheritance is all of creation. That all believers, therefore, will inherit God and the world, the Trinity and the new heavens and the new earth. Now again, I can't fully picture what that looks like <laughs> other than to say it's amazing and to say that when God adopts us into his family, he welcomes us fully as a son and daughter no matter who we are, no matter what we've done because it's all based on what Christ has done for us. You are a full member of the family of God, fully son, fully daughter, co-heir with Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 2 puts it this way. It says, both the one who makes people holy, which speaks of Jesus, and those who are made holy, speaking of us, are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed 
to call us brothers and sisters. <laughs> Is that not incredible? Man, we should just stop and just spend some time worshiping right now. Like, this is amazing. He fully welcomes us into his family. But it doesn't stop there. These three things, choosing us and then sacrificing and bringing us into his family and then fully welcoming us in the family, when the adoption process, that's just the beginning, right? Once they're in your family, then what happens? Oh, like, you have to raise them, right? Like, when we adopted Enoch, it wasn't like, oh, hey, we're here, okay. See you later. You know, it's like, oh, no, okay, this is my son. I'm going to raise him. Well, God does the same thing with us. He's raising us now that we've been adopted into his family. Hebrews 12 talks a lot about that. Just to pick a couple verses from that passage, starting in verse 9, it says this, that we have all had human fathers who dis- disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, talking about our human fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, this is saying that God is at work using discipline and trials and circumstances in your life using his spirit and his word and his people to make us like him. That we, as his sons and daughters, would resemble him, as it says here, in order that we might share in his holiness. That we would be like our Abba Father, like our adoptive dad. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in a way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That we are to follow God's example, or the old NIV translation said, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. How? As dearly loved children, which is what we are then we follow God's example, that we are imitators of God and that we're imitators of our brother, Jesus, that we would walk in the way of love just as he did. See, God is raising us to be like him and to be like our brother, Jesus. And guys, all of this, how all of this pertains to what God's doing in the world in regards to the orphan crisis is that His ultimate solution, not his only, he's not limited to this, but this is his plan A, is the way that he is combating the orphan crisis. That God is at work adopting us into his family and then raising us to be like him. That's what God's doing. That's the story of the gospel. And then through the gospel, he's giving us a brand new heart to where we have the ability to do like he's done, to be an imitator of him, to follow his example. Yeah, on the outline, I just put it this way. You know, how the gospel gives you a new heart for the orphan. See, through the gospel, God has given us a new supernatural ability to partner with him 
to care for orphans. For example, he has given us a profound, powerful motivation. Still to this day, the number one motivation for people to adopt a child is if they can't have children of their own biologically. And there is nothing wrong with that motivation. That's a great motivation to adopt children. But that motivation is limited only to families that cannot have biological children on their own. But in the gospel, we find a motivation that applies to everyone. Whether you can have children, whether you can't have children, to everybody. And that's this motivation. It's the motivation of love. It's the motivation that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, that Christ's love compels us. That when we see how we've been loved by God, then we are moved to love in kind. That when we see, God, I was orphaned and you adopted me, therefore I am now moved to adopt orphans. God, I was a slave and yet you brought me in. Now I am moved to bring other children in. It's the, it's, it's, I love God because he first loved me. And because I love God, now I'm moved to love my neighbor as myself. And you just apply that to the orphan, and then you find this incredible motivation. The motivation of love. To care for orphans. And guys, that motivation is present for every single believer. God does not call every single one of us to adopt. But every one of us has the motivation to. In addition, God, through the gospel, has not only given us a new motivation, but he has also given us a new and unfaltering source of love, which enables you to love others even when it is hard. There have been a number of studies that report that an astronomically high amount of people have considered adopting, but very few of them actually follow through. One of the main reasons why is due to the realization that fostering or adopting can be painful. It can be extremely hard, extremely difficult. And that we just naturally are motivated, we naturally find it much easier to care for others when they appreciate our care for them and when they reciprocate it, right? I mean, it's so much easier to love someone who loves you in return, isn't it? It's so much easier to love someone when they recognize that you're loving them and going out of your way to sacrifice for them, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for doing that. And like, oh, yeah. But, guys, when you adopt or you, you foster, or even if you just, you know, serve foster care children, you often, it often is a thankless job, often for a long time. The love that you're looking and you're hoping that they would give you in return, oftentimes it doesn't come, at least for a, a while. And it's painful and it's hard. And you fear that and you think, I don't even know if I want to go there. Or if you're in the middle of it, you think, I don't know if I can keep going. But in the gospel... God has given us an unfaltering, as I said, source of love that allows us to continue to pour love out even if we're not getting it back from the person we're pouring our love out on. 
that in the gospel, what God has done is that he has placed his spirit within us. As Romans 5 verse 5 says this, that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. That he has poured his love out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. That Romans 8 says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That every member of the Trinity is involved in our adoption. The Father adopting us, the Son paying the price that we would be adopted. The Spirit in our hearts now testifying that we have been adopted. And the Spirit does his work in our lives and we have someone telling us, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. You've been adopted. You're his child. You're his child. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you all the time. He's just pouring the Father's love into our hearts all the time. And so it's like this ever-flowing spigot that we are connected to that allows us to continually pour out love on others. This is a new ability, a supernatural ability given to us by God and what he's accomplished through the gospel that frees us, that actually enables us to love orphans even when it's hard, even when they come from broken places, even when they carry a lot of baggage, even when that child has passed from one home to another home to another home before they end up in your home. Because we don't have to look to that child to give us what we need. We've got it from the Father. In the arms of our Father, we find the power to keep our arms open for orphans. This is what God's done in the gospel. So one more thing that I want to hit on. There's a lot more that I'd love to talk on, but limit myself by time here. But that is, the gospel also enables us to care for orphans with God because it gives us a new righteousness. Here's what this enables. It enables you to serve orphans for them and not as a way to serve orphans for yourself. Here's what I mean by that. If you're like me, then you have this drive within you to justify yourself, to do something that will cause people to say, hey, hey, look at Jake. He's a good guy, right? Right? I am, right? Okay. But friends, like that's a, that's a terrible reason to adopt orphans or to care for orphans. See, because orphans, as I stated at the beginning of this message, are the most vulnerable population uh, in the world. And therefore, they are the ideal target for exploitation. Now listen, there are two ways to exploit orphans. You can use them to gratify your sinful pleasure... And that's orphans used for, you know, sex and slavery and all that stuff in the extreme. Or you can use them to gratify your self-justifying heart. That this is the way that you can use orphans to run after pleasure or to run after an irreligion or to run after a religious motive to give you, to make you feel good about yourself. All of it is an action to serve, the, to serve you by serving them. Both are exploitative motives. But in the gospel, we are given a freedom that comes from the gracious, justifying act of Jesus on our behalf. See, he lives and dies for us and gifts us by grace his righteousness. 
that he justifies us so that we do not have to do anything to earn a name for ourselves, which enables us, enables us to serve others for them and not to serve others for you. Because you have already been taken care of in what Christ has done. You have his righteousness. So you have a pure motive to serve them. Because this is what God has done for us. He's adopted us, and now he's raising us to be like him. He's given us a new heart that we now have new motives and new abilities, new desires to go and love orphans. Now the question is, is is he calling you to do that? And here, I want to be clear on this. He's not calling all of us to do that in the same way. Okay? That God, you know, you might think, Jake, are you saying, like, I must now care for orphans? And I would say to that, absolutely not. I mean, what do you mean by must? Like, if you, if you don't, then what will happen? I mean, just go back to the gospel, right? For you personally, you have this incredible freedom in Christ because God's acceptance of you is not based on what you do for him. So you don't have to adopt in order for him to adopt you. It's the other way around. And we're moved to adopt because Christ already adopted us. God already adopted us in Christ. So you don't have to serve orphans to get God to serve you. This is not something you must do. We have liberty here, but that liberty comes with this question. God, what would you have me do? And because of God putting his spirit within us through our adoption, then we can ask God that specific question. God, what would you have me do in light of what you have done for me? And I don't dare to stand up here in front of you. I wouldn't want to bear the weight of that anyways to say, this is what you must do. I don't know what God would have you do, but God does. You ask him. He has, you have his spirit in your heart. And so you ask the question, God, what would you have me do in light of what you have done for me? Now, my hope, and I'll be real clear about this, my hope and my assumption is that God would say to many of us to adopt or to foster or to serve in some kind of way orphans. And I tell you, I dream of, I dream of the day that Midtown Church is full of adoptive parents and full of, full of parents who are fostering children. I, mean, I, I would love, I would love for all of us every week as we gather together to get a tangible reminder of the spiritual reality of what God has done for us when he adopted us. I would love for us to be a church family that wraps around adoptive families and prays for them and cares for them and offers them care. I would love for that to be the case. But you've got to go to God. You've got to ask him, God, what would you have me do in light of what you've done for me? And in light of the fact that you are the defender of fatherless, and this is clearly what you care about, this is one of the things you clearly care about, how, what would you have me, how would you have me reflect that? And his answer might change as years go by. So keep asking him that. But today, I would want you to ask him that. If you feel him tugging on you to say, I want you to reflect this, I'm raising you to show, reflect my adoptive heart, then let me give you at least, as I wrap up here, three steps that you could take, or four steps, I would say, that you could take practically, okay? I'll keep these brief, but here they are. Ways that you can love and serve orphans. The first is that you can adopt or foster, right? 
No surprise that that's on the list. You can, uh, you can adopt or foster. Now, here, here's what I want to say on this. If you are even a little bit interested in exploring that, I want to invite you to come have dinner at my house with me and Krista. And we're actually going to have a class. We're going to have a dinner where we're just calling it Adoption and Foster 101. And on your connection cards, you'll see that there's a box that says, I'm interested in. And if you just check that box, we will personally get a hold of you and try to line up a time where we can do that dinner where most of us are available for that. Okay? So come and, like, we've, we've walked that road. We've done a lot of research. We'll just share with you what we know and help you figure out what's your first step or what's your next step. We'd love for you to come to that. Adoption 101 at our house. So that's one step that you could take if you feel like God might be calling you to adopt or foster. Second option would be this. You could sponsor a child. Now, there are tons of incredible organizations where you can sponsor children through, and that's awesome. Don't feel like you're limited by what I'm about to say here. But there is a unique way to sponsor children in regards to Midtown Church, and that is doing it in connection with Mission of Hope Haiti. As Brad was sharing earlier, that's the group that we go to Haiti with. They have an orphanage that is in, that, that incredibly well run. I don't have time to explain how they have it set up. They don't actually adopt any children out from Haiti. They have a setup at Mission of Hope where they have a, a, a mom, a Haitian mom who cares for five children at a time. But those children need to be sponsored. And so if you'd want to sponsor a child through Mission of Hope, then what the unique thing is, is that if you were to come with us on our regular yearly mission trip to Haiti every spring break, you could actually visit the child that you're sponsoring. It's pretty cool. But that's an awesome way to care for orphans. Sponsor them. Uh, and if you're interested in doing that through Mission of Hope, on your connection card, there's a box for you to check there. I'll get in touch with you and give you more information on how to follow through on that step. Third way to volunteer, third way to serve orphans is to volunteer to serve foster children. And here's the thing that I am praying that many of us do. Okay? That's this, that we would volunteer to serve with Helping Hand Children's Home, which is located two blocks from where we gather right now. Helping Hand Home, this is from their website, says it provides a safe haven for children, healing from physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, neglect, and abandonment. And we as a church, we, wanna, we want to love and serve the staff and the children at that foster home two blocks away from us. On their website, there are a number of ways that they detail you could volunteer. And I've been working and talking with their volunteer coordinator, and they are excited that we may be providing them volunteers. I can't promise you, but, man, we'd love to do that. Those ways to serve are heartbreaking. I mean, there's like homework. You can help them in the afternoons with their homework. Or you can help them on the weekends with volunteer, like with, by uh, organizing activities for them to do. Or the heartbreaking one is that you, they literally need people to help put the kids to sleep by reading them bedtime stories until they fall asleep, helping them brush their teeth at night. If you're interested in serving with Helping Hand, just check the box. And we, this is not you saying, I'm in. This is saying, I'm interested. We'll follow up. We'll give you information to help you take a next step. You can do that again on your connection card. And then the final thing that I'll list, and there's certainly a million more that I could spend time on, but the final one I'll list is the most important one, and that is that you can pray for these children. And this is something that every one of us can do. And you can pray for them. In fact, on this 
screen, you'll see that there's a website that I list, and I'd encourage you guys to write that down. That website is for the Heart Gallery of Texas, the Heart Gallery of Austin, really. And on the Heart Gallery, what they do is they take professional uh, pictures of children in foster care who are awaiting adoption. Every one of them on this website are available for adoption today. And you can go on that website and you can look at their pictures and you can read their name and a little bit about them and you can pray for them. You can pray for them to come to know God. You can pray for them that there would be a parent that would come and adopt them. You can pray for their protection. You can pray for them. And I would encourage you to begin by doing that. Because God cares about the orphan. You were once an orphan. And he adopted you. And I don't know what he would have you do to apply what, this, what we've heard today. But here's what I want to encourage all of us to do as we end. And that is, let's rejoice. Let's end in a time of worship. Let's end in a time of taking communion together because every one of us who've placed their faith in Christ has been adopted by God. You belong and you matter. The adoption by God screams that. So let's rejoice. Even though it came at great cost to God, it's what we remember when we take communion. That Jesus' body was broken, his blood was spilled, that he was ripped from the Father on the cross that we could be brought in into his family. Let's rejoice over that. The communion table is going to be open to anyone who's placed their faith in Christ. Come and do that during our time of worship. Let me pray, and you can come and get the elements in the front or in the back. Heavenly Father, you're an amazing God. You are our Abba Father. Because you adopted us when we were far from you. and You took us in through your son. And Jesus, we remember that that came at great cost as we take communion here. And we thank you that you paid that cost willingly for the joy that set, was set before you. You are incredible, God. Will you speak to us and give us wisdom of what to do, what you would have us do with what we've heard today. May you move many people to partner with you and caring for the orphan. For your glory, God, and their good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.